Take your Bible this morning. Turn over to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. And today, we're going to encourage you to take out your outlines, but uh, we're not going to have any PowerPoint today. So we want you to focus closely as I give the cues to fill in the blanks. It'll cause us to to listen and uh, focus a little more. Facing spiritual warfare head on. As I share this message today, I'm going to put on my counselor hat. I had the opportunity when I was in college to minor in psychology. I started out working on a master's degree in counseling until God redirected that to apologetics. But So I've done lots of counseling over the years, and I think it's important as we think about spiritual warfare, we think about our feelings, our thoughts, and uh, how to counsel ourselves using the Word of God. So we're going to talk about that from that perspective today. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the uh, sower and the, and the wheat and the tares. Verse 24, verse 24. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers." Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And may God have his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. So the weeds, the weeds that will deter God's people from expanding the kingdom of God and discouraging believers will always be with us until Jesus returns. There's a lot we could talk about in this parable, but I want to take that one thought with you that we are going to have the weeds with us. And what are those weeds anyway? Well, false teaching in the church, but also in our culture. The culture is trying all the time in the last number of years to redefine reality. They've gone so far at times to say that the way that we view reality from God's perspective is something that a group of men constructed, and it can be altered and changed. But God is the definer of reality because he's the source of truth, love, the creator of this world, which makes him the source of science and what, how this ecosystem of this world comes together and works. He's the author and finisher of our faith because he keeps the world and the present reality going. Another thing that's a weed in our life is our flesh with its sinful desires, with its lustful desires. Our sinful nature is something that we have to continually deal with until we die. Another weed is the temptations that are all around us to conform us into this world. You see, we all have weeds in our life. And just like we get this reprieve in the wintertime where weeds are not growing in our yard, pretty soon in spring you'll be getting your roundup out and those weeds will be back. And so it is in our life. We have to deal continually with the spiritual weeds Satan tries to throw us. So we know that Satan is firing fiery darts with us, according to Ephesians chapter 6. We know that we have to put on our spiritual armor on a daily basis, according to Ephesians 6. And just to read a little excerpt from there, you know this very well. If you've 
um, studied spiritual warfare, the central thought is to put on the armor of God. And Paul says in Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, right living, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the gospel that we share with others, and it has changed our lives. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you use to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These are our resources to fight against Satan. And we know that Satan is an accuser before God, according to Job 1 and 2. He likes to take the boatload of sins of the world and spread them out before God at his throne and say, look at your people who say they follow me. He's the constant accuser of that. And he tempts us to sin through his demons in our flesh. And how do we withstand and resist the devil? Well, if Revelation 12, 11 says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. By the word of your testimony, what God has done in your life, by the blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sins and forgives us and gives us the resurrection power when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. That gives us power over Satan. In James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we know that the job of Satan's demons is to go after Christians, to target them, to get them discouraged and distracted from obeying God and keep us from growing in our relationship to him and building up his church and expanding his kingdom by the use of our spiritual gifts and the sharing of the gospel with others. If the demons can do that, they've done what Satan wanted. He is, and we need to be mindful of this, he is a defeated foe. So today I want to get very practical at the end of 2021 here on what we can do to face spiritual warfare head on. And it really begins with the sense of the battle in our mind and what we think we often do. It's controlling our mind and our emotions and aligning them to the promises in God's word that keeps us from falling into the traps and the snares of Satan and his demons. And what Satan loves to do is he does it very incrementally, slice by slice, little by little, the slow erosion. And we have to guard ourselves against those uh, times when he does that. So I'm gonna take more of a counseling approach, as I said, as we look at these things. The question to ask ourselves is, are we taking care of our whole body, our whole mind, our, our, our whole mind, body, and soul, and I will keep coming around to this because the gospel is holistic. The gospel affects all aspects of us, not just the spiritual part of it. One thing can affect another, and if it's out of balance, it gets us out of balance for what God wants to do in our lives. So the first thing on your outline there is be sure to examine your thoughts and emotions and sort them out. Be sure to examine your thoughts and your emotions and sort them out. And we just talked about that. We have to be able to know when we look into our heart and our mind, our thoughts and our emotions, what are the weeds or what are the good things, the wheat that helps us to grow and to be more like Christ. First point under that is identifying your emotions is beneficial. The blank there is beneficial. Projecting your emotions on others is hurtful. Many people do that. Not owning how we feel in the moment is not being honest with ourselves and others. 
taking our emotions and our feelings out on others, especially in our closest relationships, can be very damaging. We say things we later regret and wish we could take back. And I've used this illustration before, but I used to use this all the time with uh, teenagers in youth group. And when we talked about the tongue in James chapter 3, I'd get a teenager to volunteer to come up and I'd have a table and I'd ask him to take a tube of toothpaste and squirt everything out he could to get every inch of toothpaste out on that table. But then he would go sit down and I would say, okay, who would like to come up and put all that toothpaste back in and I'll give you a sum of money if you can do that, right? You can't do it. And once our words come out of our mouth, they have an effect for good or for bad. And for some of us in this room, we can remember some pretty harsh words that people have said either at school or by our parents, even at the youngest ages. They're still in our memory. And we remember those things. So when you're angry, tell yourself internally you're angry and do something about it. If you need to, to get away from that situation and calm down, to think before you respond. Do you have all the facts? Is your response going to help the situation or make it worse? When you're alone and you're feeling down and discouraged, think about the things you can do to lift yourself up. It's getting into the word. It's, it's listening maybe to good, uplifting music. It's talking with someone who will listen when you're down and discouraged and pray together with you. One of the best things um, doctors say is to go outside and go for a walk and exercise, that that gets uh, your mind and your thought going in positive directions. Or taking time to serve with somebody else, serve someone else. Look for opportunities to minister or just do the simplest things. One of the greatest things we can do is if we get the opportunity is go to a nursing home or sit down with an elderly person and just be a good listener. They love to have someone listen to their stories. These things and more can get your mind off of the emotions they may be trying to control you. And that's the challenge, is not to let our feelings run our lives. Second point under this is ignoring your emotions is detrimental. Detrimental. Some people try to stuff or deny their emotions down in there, and that's not good either. Not being honest with others about your emotions is very unhealthy. Now, be honest, when we come in to the door of the church and Steve Brethauer or Josh or whoever's there, they say, how are you doing today? Most of us, if not all of us, say we're fine. But down deep inside, are we really fine? Are we really honest about our feelings? Not that we want to dump the whole boatload of all the negativity on people either, but the thing is, we need to be open and honest with what our emotions are all about. Denying your emotions can cause people to let the emotions build up and explode, explode by overreact, overreacting in a situation. Denying your emotions and yet dwelling on them can cause one to be irritable, to lose sleep, to develop a bitter spirit. These are the ways that Satan works to tempt us and to draw us away and to remove us from the focus that he wants us to have. So taking our emotions to God like David and Job did is a good place to start. That's why I always try to incorporate, <clears throat> as I read through my devotion time, somewhere from the book of Psalms every day. Because in there you see a lot of them are from David and he shares his emotions. Some of them when Saul was seeking after him to kill him. Other times when he just didn't know what God was up to. 
I think of, the, of, of Job and his laments and all that he went through. And if you read toward the end of the book of Job, all of his conversations going on with God. The key here is we learn from David, Job, and others is how they responded in the face of emotions. The question is, how do we respond when our emotions overwhelm us neg- negatively? We need to think about that. And this is where we fight the battle. To deal with spiritual warfare is so important. People's responses in extreme ways to the emotions have caused people to be murderers, led to drug abuse, to escape the negative feelings and the cause of them, and many, many other things that we could extrapolate this morning. I don't know if you've realized this or heard this in the news. It's not something that's being discussed very much, but in the United States, we just passed a grim milestone 100,000 deaths from opioid overdoses in the past year. Most of these deaths were due to fentanyl, a synthetic opioid that is sometimes prescribed as a painkiller and often is combined with heroin and cocaine or methamphetamines. The states have seen the most significant increase in opioid death rates are in the Rust Belt states, specifically Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. These states have experienced a 300% to 500% increase in deaths over the last 10 years. Since 2020, young adults ages 18 to 45 have seen 79,000 deaths due to opioid addiction. Think about that. During that same period, 59,000 people in that age group died of COVID. So we have several pandemics going on at the same time, if we're really honest and we think about it. To recap this point, we must identify our emotions and not ignore them. We must welcome the times of jubilation and joy and feel free to express that. But at the same time, share with others when we're facing discouragement and frustration over a long stretch of time to get some encouragement to be built up and and, in extreme cases to go and to get some wise counsel to help people in that way. Recently, we've had some in our church that have been going through a period of discouragement and depression. Think about this holiday season. Some who have lost loved ones in recent years. It's difficult, and we all go through those times, but we've, as leaders of the church, we've talked to them, we've prayed with them, we've come alongside them, and those are things that all of us can do to help sustain people in those dark times in their life. So our application is this, that God, as well as Satan, can use your emotions, but it's up to us to discern which is true. See, that's part of the issue. We have to discern the blank says, which is true. Is this uh, Satan trying to bring some stuff up from my past just to discourage me? Or is this God bringing this emotion into my life to steer me toward him and to deal with something in my life? The next point is so important because if we're honest, we all have an inner voice that talks to us and we talk in turn back to it. So we got to, the next point is to be a counselor to your heart. Be a counselor to your heart. Larry Crabb, who is a Christian psychologist from his book, Soul Talk, said this, self-talk is the natural language of every person ever born except Jesus. It's the language of self-protection and self-sufficiency and self-absorption. It's our social language, our religious language, or political language, our business language, or relationship language. It comes out of our efforts to adjust to this world to make it a better place, to get along more comfortably in it, 
to keep ourselves happy and fulfilled and safe and to help others feel better about themselves and about their lives. It speaks death and smothers souls. It's the language we all speak naturally and will continue to speak all the way to our grave unless the Spirit of God intervenes and we respond. See, we have to understand that there is that inner voice that's talking to us. And so we need to, first of all, speak the truth to our hearts. Is the heart, is that inner voice controlling you or are you speaking to it? I like what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the theologian, said. He says, we allow ourselves to talk with us instead of talking to ourselves. This is the very wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? That's why it's important to memorize God's word, to quote it back to God, to pray it back to God, to pray it to your soul and remind yourself of your identity and who you are in Christ. A book I'm reading, Glorious Finish by Daniel Henderson, he says, discouragement is a temporary loss of perspective. John Piper says the battle against despondency is a battle against the promises of God. We won't take the time, but you should read, when you get a chance, Psalm 73. In fact, I encourage you to turn over there. We're going to look at a couple verses. Psalm 73, it's about Asaph. And Asaph, in the first 16 verses, he just... Uh, talking to God, says, Lord, it's not fair. I'm doing everything right. I'm living for you. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can. And yet I look around to non-believers. I got troubles. I got problems. I got sickness in my life. And I look around at non-believers and guess what? They're rich. Everything's going well for them. They're in good health. He says, it just doesn't seem worth it to follow you. But then he goes into the temple to worship. He says in in Psalm 73, verse 16, and he gathers with God's people and he worships with them. You look at verse 16, he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me, Psalm 73, a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end, that of the rich people or the the non-believers that he was talking about. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Asaph began to look at things from God's perspective and spoke truth to his own heart, focused on the promises of God, and it changed his perspective of life. Second of all, under here, you need to self-examine, self-examine your heart. I find many people today are too busy to even sit down, maybe at the end of a day, or at the beginning of a day when it's quiet before everything gets started and just examine their heart and examine, you know, what am I going to do today? What does God want me to do? We're so busy. We got so much activity going on, even up to the time for many of us that we go to bed. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, this passage is talking about the Lord's Supper. Specifically, it says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And just like on the first Sunday of the month, as part of our uh, time to celebrate and reflect on communion, I give you a time to examine your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to show you any areas of sin in your life so that you come to the table with clean hearts. But we need to do that on a daily basis. Socrates said an unexamined life is not worth living. So we need to ask ourselves from time to time, what are my motives for what I do? Why do I do what I do? My actions. 
Are they pure and righteous or are they for an ulterior motive or self-seeking? Are there sins I need to confess and things that I cannot see that, that God can reveal to me to confess and ask for forgiveness? What can I learn from my sins and mistakes that I don't want to repeat, that I can grow from those mistakes or those sins? A self-examined heart. And then thirdly, stay centered. Stay centered on the truth. Stay centered on the truth. C.S. Lewis said most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know what they do want and want acutely. Something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things, he said, in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promises. But they never quite keep their promises. That's why we have to stay focused on the one who can. The anchor of our soul, Hebrews 6.19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That is Jesus Christ. That is the Holy Spirit. That's the word of God. That's our true north. When I was in Boy Scouts, I was working on my star rank and we had to do merit badges. <clears throat> I don't remember exactly which merit badge it was, but they took a group of five of us boys out and they separated us out and they put us in the woods and they gave us two things, a map and a compass. And they said, here's your destination. Get there. This will help you earn your merit badge. And you know what? That compass came in really, really handy, right? Because it always gives you the true north. And you know, when you're walking east or west, you know, if you're going the the wrong way and those sorts of things. And so we need to be registered and focused as we go into 2022 and remind ourselves of who the true north always is, that the winds may blow us off the trail a little bit, that we might get distracted and go down into a ravine, but that the true north is what we need to line our lives up with each and every day. How many of us today take time, have the time to stop during a day and examine our hearts with God in prayer and with the scriptures. I tell you, for many, this is a missing component to their faith walk. So our application here is to stop and smell the roses in life, but also examine the thorns. Examine the trials and the tribulations that come into your life. But take time to stop and smell the roses. The good news is that the gospel speaks to and transform our, transforms our whole being. So it is so important, next point, to be sure to take care of your body, your mind, and your soul. The first point under that is your thoughts affect your behavior. Affect is the blank there. Your thoughts affect your behavior. Listen to this story about Beethoven. <clears throat> During his 45-year career as a composer, Ludwig von Beethoven wrote 722 symphonies, sonatas, and concertos. And you may know many of those compositions were written after he had gone deaf. When he first noticed his hearing loss, Beethoven was devastated. Unable to hear the music he made, he felt like his life was over. It was meaningless. At first, as his hearing was deteriorating, Beethoven began to play louder and louder, so loud that he injured his hands, not to mention the listener's ears. Eventually, he was able to not only adapt to his hearing loss, but also innovate a new sound. An analysis of Beethoven's music by the British Medical Journal reveals that high notes accounted for 80% of his music into his 20s, but only 20% into his 40s as he lost his hearing. 
Beethoven's Fifth Symphony ranks as one of the greatest musical achievements, and it starts with a series of notes that have become iconic. Da-da-da-dum, right? The amazing thing, it was written after Beethoven had lost his hearing, and how is that even possible? It says, Arthur Brooks says, as his hearing deteriorated, he was less influenced by the prevailing compositional fashions and more by the musical structures forming inside his own head. Instead of being influenced by the musical trends of the day, Beethoven trusted his internal voice. He composed out of his convictions. Here's a question to consider. What percentage of your thoughts, words, and actions are a regurgitation of the media you're watching and the social media that you're following? And what percentage is a revelation you're getting from God's word? You and I are bombarded by breaking news, fake news, all day, every day. Online advertisers use clickbait to compete for our attention. Social media algorithms are designed to keep us in our echo chambers. And if we're not careful, our default settings become opinion polls, and we take our cues from cultural talking points. This is when and where and why we need core convictions to go back to as our center point. The next thing is your body affects your thoughts. The blank there is effects. Your body affects your thoughts. Exercise brings about endorphins that are released and are beneficial for your mind and your emotions. That's why eating unhealthy food makes you sleepy and lethargic. Lack of sleep causes your brain to not function as well and makes people irritable. So we need to avoid that, but also avoid living long stretches of time on your adrenaline. You know, if you're living an adrenaline-driven life, it's like redlining your car for a long period of time. And you can only do that for a short amount of time. When the body and mind are out of sync, it often leads to spiritual problems. God has designed us to take care of our mind, our soul, and our spirit to be all that God wants us to be as we live out our lives. So our application here is your spiritual growth involves, involves, it involves your whole body. Your spiritual growth involves all aspects of taking care of your health, taking care of what you're thinking about, pouring into your soul as well. The next point is a quick reminder that what we put into our mind and how we process it points us to why we act the way we act. We have to be balanced in our thinking. Be balanced in your thinking. <clears throat> as we think about getting into the word this year, I'm always reminded of this verse in Hosea 4, 6, where it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. A verse that I learned very early after becoming a believer at age 14, it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, I learned it in the King James Version, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's an important phrase for us. That every day we need to be discerning the truth that comes in. And, and as we see here on your outline, filter, filter your version of the truth through the lens of God's word. We have so much coming at us, conversations, things we read, things that we hear in the media and other things. And we're trying to sort through what is the truth. We have to filter it through the lens of God's word. And it takes proper methods of interpretation of God's word. Look at the whole context of a portion of scripture in light of the entire Bible. Someone has said that the greatest commentary of the Bible is the Bible itself. 
is to go look at other places to see if this fits the whole context of the word of God. So as your approach to the passage of scripture consistent with the historical and orthodox teaching of Christianity, it just breaks my heart as I stand here as I've talked again with several pastors. I watch, I'm watching pastors that are walking away from the faith. It's unbelievable here in the Quad Cities, and it breaks my heart. And I meet with them, and I try to draw them back to where the truth is. You see, there's nothing new. There's no new interpretation. If there's something new, it's most likely not true. You see, we're preaching sermons that thousands upon thousands of others have already preached. We're preaching, not preaching anything new. We're reminding you through the preaching what Scripture and its truths teach us through people's personalities, the culture at the time, and those sorts of things. Filter your version of the truth through the lens of God's word. Second of all, fix your thoughts on the truth that's beneficial for the long haul. Long haul. Fix your thoughts on the truth that is beneficial for the long haul. A great chorus, and Carrie Zanke has led us in this a few times, to remind ourselves is that, that chorus about turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Man, you think about that, it keeps giving you the eternal perspective on things. That no matter how difficult your life is getting, no matter what, take the 30,000 you know, foot view and look down and see from God's perspective that this is just the short term because we're going to get to see the face of Jesus and be in glory with him. Thirdly there, focus on finding a godly solution and follow it. Focus. Focus on finding a godly solution and follow it. Eliezer was Abraham's servant. And he wanted, Abraham wanted uh, to get a wife for Isaac. And he wanted Eliezer to go back to his people and to find someone from his relatives to bring her back to, to Isaac. And of course, it was Rebekah that he brought back. But as he went... He had, a, he had a, a prayed to God and asked him to give him a plan as to how he's going to identify who this woman was to be, the wife of Isaac. And it's a very long story, but in Genesis chapter 24, verse 17, Eliezer said, He blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. And then Eliezer said, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren, who would eventually reveal who the wife would be for Isaac. But I being in the way, the Lord led him. When we are seeking to live righteous lives, that means to do the right things that God commands us to do. He will lead us in his will where he wants us to go and do what he wants us to do if we stay humble and we stay surrendered. So focus on finding a godly solution and follow it when you are at the fork in the road when you have to make some decisions, go to his word and get peace about the decision that you're making. Our application here is develop a good way of assessing and setting realistic, realistic expectations for your life. <clears throat> I know in my life, I've had to, to tone that back some, to realize that I have lower expectations with all that's been going on with COVID and other things in our culture. As we get older, we have to think about our realistic expectations. This leads us to our next to last point that's so important. Be aware of what season of life you're currently in. Take your Bible, turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3. As I was preparing uh, to, to do a funeral message for my close friend, Mark McCorkle, over in Kankakee, very close friend of our family, the family asked that I would read from Ecclesiastes 3. And as I did that, it just uh, caused me to think about how important these verses are, especially for us as we begin a new year to remind ourselves, what time are we in? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Skip down to verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. God is in whatever time period you're going through in your life, whether that's a seasonal period of losing a job and finding another, whether as we grow older, as we move through the decades, we're in a different time, different things are happening, not just to our body, but to our relationship with our family, our loved ones, others that move away that we were close to. So the question is, we have to know, first of all, who we are. We have to know who we are as we think about what time we're in. Know who you are. Know your personality. Know your strengths. Know your vulnerabilities. Know your limits physically of what you can and can't do. Second of all, know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. And if you need help with that, read Ephesians chapter 1. That's a great place to start because it tells you over and over all these things about who you are in Christ. And remind yourself of those things. And thirdly, know your realistic expectations. Your realistic expectations. A few years ago, my wife made it clear she didn't want me on the roof anymore to clean the gutters or anything else, you know. And I've succumbed to that, you know. I'm, I was okay for a while, but to wanting to get up on the roof, but I'm okay now. But I'm saying we have to know our limitations. Know what we can and cannot do. Know what time of life you're in and understand what that is in your culture. Make adjustments with God's help physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. As I mentioned, I, we, I've had to lower my expectations a lot about things in my life and here at the church since March of 2020 when COVID first hit. I've had to learn to make constant adjustments on the fly here at church and in our personal lives. Normal routines and habits have been disrupted. I have to look at my age and figure out what I can and cannot do anymore. And you must do the same. Things are never going to go back to the way they were. We're going to have to live with COVID-19. We're going to have to deal with the Delta and Omicron and whatever else is going to come our way. We all have to make our decisions personally on what to do and how it will affect others. And we have to refocus our boundaries, our disciplines, our habits, our margins and expectations. 
This is a good week to sit down with the Lord and avoid the frustration of, of setting unrealistic expectations by getting alone with them and spending time and writing down those new goals as you move into 2022. But come to a place of peace and agreement with the Lord and your spouse and other loved ones and communicate where your boundaries, where your margins are, what you can and cannot do. That will relieve some pressure and tension in relationships. So the application here is be content with knowing what your boundaries and margins are. And that takes time to examine, to think about it, maybe even to talk with your spouse. If you're you're married, if you're single, talk with others, godly people, give counsel. But what is it God wants you to do and not do as you move into this new year? Now to our last point, and that's the challenges to respond as Paul did to the circumstances of God's working in his life. Let's turn to one last piece of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as we wrap this up today. We are to be disciplined in our daily and weekly structures and routines. That helps us a lot. When you're able to be disciplined and structured, that helps you to keep focused and not get distracted. I don't know about you, I'm a very intentional person, uh, type A personality, still have my Franklin planner, I write down and have a focus for the day. But many times that gets thrown out the window. And at five o'clock you think, what did I even do today, you know? And there's many times that that happens to all of us. And so we have to remind ourselves how to get back and get focused once again. And Paul does a good job with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as he uses something that is very understandable as an illustration for the believers at Corinth. And that was the Isthmian Games. They occurred every three years in Corinth. Uh, The people that would come and participate would come to Corinth 10 months before. They would have coaches that would give them intense training And if they didn't make the grade, they weren't even allowed to be in these games. It was much like our modern-day Olympics. And Paul is using that as the backdrop of of what he wants to express to the Corinthian church and also to us. So 1 Corinthians 9.24, if you're there, first of all, run with purpose. Run with purpose. Run with purpose. Verse 24, Paul said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Run with purpose, a focus, driven to reach the goal, to win the prize. Verse 26, Paul says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. We're to run to win and hear the words from God of his acclamation for a race well run for him. He's talking about their beating the air. Back then, they used to swing like this when they were boxing, and they would just hope that they would hit every once in a while. They did the windmill approach. And Paul says, no, you need to be intentional, intentional how you box, how you punch somebody, how you focus for the, for the reward for the prize. Second of all, run with discipline. Run with discipline. He says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. The athlete exercises agonizomai. It's an agony to stay self-controlled, to follow the rules, to do what you're supposed to do in order to win the event. That's how you become successful. Run with discipline. He says in verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Do everything we can to glorify God and point people to Jesus. 
great movie to watch every once in a while is Chariots of Fire. Slow moving movie, but very accurate uh, description of Eric Little as he went. And of course, he was a believer and uh, wouldn't run on the Sabbath. But he said that, um, you know, God found pleasure in his running because he wanted to honor and glorify God with what he did. So the next thing is to run with the reward in view. Run with the reward in view. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Verse 25, the second part there says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Jesus' goal for our lives here now in 2021 and 2022 is to be filled with joy unexplainable. We've sung that song a lot through this Christmas season, joy to the world. In John 15, 11, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So let's continue on in this marathon of a spiritual journey with eternity and all the joy and rewards it will bring us as we approach this new year. Our application here is to start 2022 off with repeatable and realistic habits. The blank there is habits in our life. And we do something each day, a little thing, and it can build into big things into our life. It's those habits, those daily habits that we build into. To summarize this message, let's look at our key thought. The key thought is the gospel is holistic and is working out our salvation daily through our mind, soul, and spirit. It's holistic. Everything about the gospel transforms every part of our being. Some things to respond to this week to give you a, a challenge as you go out. I hope that you'll take time this week to examine and take stock of your life. This is a great time to do that. As we're about to, you know, open a new calendar, turn a new page into a new year. This is a great time to reflect and, and learn from the hard lessons of this past year, but what you've learned and take it into the new year. And number two, what hard lessons have you learned in 2021? And number three, what is one thing you desire God to help you improve on or change in 2022? Some, some very basic questions, so it would be good to sit down, to write them out, and then look at them this time next year and see where God has grown you and moved you as you move through this new year. Let's bow for prayer. As we think about spiritual warfare and how Satan can use our emotions against us, how he comes at us through temptations, through our desires, through the battle of our mind, all these things. Help us to be aware. Help us to be aware of the enemy and his tactics and his desires to derail us in our Christian walk. And just take a moment and just ask God to help you be more aware and sensitive to the enemy and more aware and sensitive to sin in your life as you begin to move into 2022. Father, teach us and remind us constantly to examine our motives, our thoughts, and what we do, and put them through the filter of the lens of your word. Lord, when we do that, you, you make it very clear what should not be a part of our life and what should. And then, Lord, give us the grace to obey what we know is the truth from there. Lord, it's easy to do this in theory, but it's a challenge for us to do it 
and executed in our daily lives. And so, Lord, help us as we begin to move into a new year here next week. I pray that you will just uh, help us to develop some habits and some realistic goals and expectations based on what you prompt us to do as we look forward to what you want to do anew and afresh in our hearts and lives. We thank you for the privilege to uh, have this wonderful holiday season and some downtime to be able to find time to reflect and to meet with you in a more intimate way. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.